Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast. Um, this is Bill Corey, uh, sports editor of the Providence Journal in downtown Providence with the Red Sox beat writer, Bill Koch. And Bill, I'm going to start by um, recognizing a uh, a prediction that you made. I want to say it was in July. I was, I was going back and listening to a lot of the Twin Bills and I, I didn't come across it, but I know you said it because I was here and I remember it. And your uh, prediction was that uh, that last Yankee series against uh, the Red Sox isn't going to mean anything. And lo and behold, we're on the doorstep of that Yankee series. And uh, in terms of the Red Sox, you're right, it doesn't mean anything. No, every dog has his day. (laughs) I was actually uh, correct on that one. I thought at the time that the Red Sox would clinch their third straight American League East title uh, in advance uh, of this weekend series, these three games with New York. Uh, I just... The way that I saw them uh, in terms of their lineup, how relentless they were, uh, in terms of their front line starting pitching, Chris Sale and and David Price, who has gone on a great run here after the All-Star break, uh, I just saw them as having enough to to hold off a Yankee team that I feel like is a little bit imperfect in terms of uh, the injuries that they've had, Um, certainly a couple holes in the starting rotation that they've tried to address. Uh, just over the long term, I, I felt like Boston had the better mix this year, had a certain feel about them, and it's played out that way. Yep, yep. I mean, it certainly played out that way during the regular season. Um, you know, but it, it's odd when you look at the standings, and the second place team has 97 wins, <laughs> and they're not even sniffing first place. It's and, just one of those. Uh, you know, first of all, it's a testament to this Red Sox team, and it's and it's 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 a weird year because. You know there have been a lot of bad teams, and so you are piling up wins against the likes of the Orioles and the and the Royals. Uh, to, you know at at a pace you probably haven't been in the past. No, and the the third place team is pushing ninety wins. Yeah, that's Tampa right. Bay yeah, Tampa is, Bay, which which should really get a uh, a tip of the cap because uh, nobody foresaw th- them uh, competing. I mean, they're not really competing, but for them to get to uh, almost ninety wins uh, in in this division when you have to play the Red Sox and the Yankees so many times is certainly uh, certainly noteworthy. But your your point is well made in terms of the bottom of Major League Baseball this year. We've talked about it on the podcast throughout the year, the, the competitive imbalance hmm. uh, in baseball. Look no further than the Orioles in yeah. your own division. Uh, you know They've set a franchise record for losses, and that includes the old, woeful St. Louis Browns. Yeah. Uh, who were who were who were horrendous back in the day? Yeah, you know one, right. one of the worst franchises in the history of Major League Baseball. Yeah. They're right there with uh, the Cleveland Spiders. You folks can look <laughs> that up on your own time. That's um, the wayback machine. You know, but you look at what the Red Sox did to Baltimore this year, going sixteen and three in nineteen games. That's the division. Yeah. That's the separator between them and the Yankees. Mm-hmm. The Yankees were around five hundred with the Orioles, very pedestrian with them, and the Red Sox yeah. just squashed them like bugs. Which, you know, you look at. Uh, the doubleheader on Wednesday, the the first game, 
when the Red Sox had the A lineup out there. Right. 19 to 3, just a relentless offensive attack, personal milestones left and right. And, and I just think that's that was sort of a. You know, a good nine-inning advertisement for what this team has been, you know, pretty much throughout the year. Yeah, and you know, the Orioles have 112 losses, um, which is, you know, it's a shame, really, because Baltimore is a great baseball town. Yes, great, uh, great stadium. You know, I've been down there many times to, to watch games, and uh, you know, it almost doesn't seem possible that it, that a team uh, with that kind of pedigree could could go on and lose that many games. But hey, you know, it happens. It happened in Kansas City this year too. It's, also lost over 100 games. But, you know, that's helped the Red Sox. It's helped the Yankees. Um, and so let's dig in a little bit on the Red Sox here. The last time that uh, we did the Twin Bills, they were on the cusp of, I believe, clinching the division. They hadn't done that yet. And yes. and uh, since then, they have clinched the division. And they did it uh, down in New York. And they have also set a franchise mark for wins in a season uh, by winning 106 now, 107 games. Uh, so first of all, let's let's go back to New York and and the clincher, Bill. Uh, you were there for that. Um, it you know, I, it came on the third game of a three game series, so I guess they made us wait a little bit. Uh, but you know, I, there was really no drama. It was going to happen. If if not there, it would, it would happen later. But uh, th- what struck me about it was that the uh, the celebration, as it were, on the field wasn't exactly you know over the top. I mean, would you concur? No, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think Alex Cora pointed out after the game that, uh, you know, this isn't the first time for a lot of these guys. It's a third straight American League East title. That's the first time in franchise history that's happened. But you had a lot of guys in uniform that night who have been a part of all three, whether it be Mookie Betts or Xander Bogarts or Brock Holt. Um, you, know, you could go on down the line. David Price as well. You could go on down the line. Um, this team has bigger goals, and, and they understand that they're going to be defined by whether or not they achieve those bigger goals. Um, I don't think Cora has been shy about that at any point this season, and I think the players know exactly what he expects and what the organization expects. Uh, this is not a team put together to win the division. It's a team put together to win the World Series. Um, I also think that y- you look at just that one game, that Thursday night in New York, it's an 11-6 win. Uh, if you were to just look at the final, you would say, "Well, that's fairly routine." You mm. know, the Red Sox went out; their offense was good, and you know they they had a good night. Yep. Um, a lot of things happened within that game that I think were pretty representative of who this team has been this year. Um, David Price had a hard time, obviously, uh, you know, in in his start there, and you know, you you get into that third game, you wonder how it's going to go. Keith Henry comes in, gives up a grand slam to Giancarlo Stanton. You go down six to four. What this team has done, though, consistently throughout the years, they've shown this sort of resilience, whether it's getting behind, playing from ahead, playing through injury. I think that's probably the one thing that, for me, has defined them. That sort of resilience, that toughness, um, you know, as much as a baseball team can have toughness. Mm. Uh, and what you saw from Mookie Betts that night, as much as one player can ever dominate a baseball game, I think we saw him do it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, when uh, when Stanton hit that grand slam and the Red Sox, uh, I think, were trailing by two at that point. When, oh, I think it was 6-4. to four. It was 6-4. to four. And, um, 
you know, I, I really got, got the feeling that the scoring wasn't going to end for either side. I thought it was just going to be a rock'em sock'em kind of game. It had that, it had that feel to it. But it was really the Red Sox that just kind of punched back and then just kept punching. And you're right, it was it was really good to see if you're a Red Sox fan, Mookie Betts kind of uh, get his power stroke back. And it was a little surprising to me because he was just dealing with an injury not not too long ago, and you thought maybe they were gonna. They were gonna take it easy, uh, maybe sit him out. Um, but uh, you know his his um, at bats and his his power numbers uh, as of late are a really good sign as you're uh, as you're heading into October here. Yeah, I mean you look at his his last four games here, um, and I know it's a, a small sample, but <laughs> his last four games are, are like a month for some guys. Uh, I right. mean, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, in four games, five doubles, three home runs, eight RBI. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's like two weeks for some players. Right. right. Um, you know, how's a twenty-one, twenty-nine OPS sound to you? It sounds like an MVP year is what it sounds like. Yeah. You know, and, right. and that's that's just what this guy is capable of. He's yeah. so explosive. He mm-hmm. can be so dominant at the plate. Uh, he makes it look so easy. Like, you, you look at the first game of the doubleheader Wednesday against Baltimore. What didn't he do in that game? Hit a double, walked, stole a base, scored a run, drove in a run. It's like, you know, he just fills up the box score. It's it's unbelievable to watch him. He's just he's on a completely different level at this point yep. uh, from anything that we've seen from him at any point in his career. Yeah. And, and really, out of any Red Sox hitter since I don't know who <laughs> Ortiz, um, maybe. Well, the the speed element. Well, sure, yeah, yeah gives him obviously. something more. Than Ortiz yeah. and, and, and Manny Ramirez yeah, had, right. and the defense yeah. gives him something more than than maybe they've had in the outfield since like a Dwight Evans or a Fred Lynn, right? Um, but even those guys didn't hit like this. No, and they were good hitters. Certainly. No, it's you know. it's it's incredible to yeah. watch. Uh, you know, you you look at his his season numbers, and and they compare with just about any season in Red Sox history. You'd like to compare to them? Yeah, absolutely. He's hitting three forty six. You know, he, he's only got he's only got eighty RBIs, but you know, it's a function of leading off and uh, you know, uh, stole bases, uh, thirty stolen bases, plays great defense. Um, so, uh, you, you know, he's exactly. Uh, he, he's back to form. Not that he ever really had any cold spells, but you know, maybe he, his powers number power numbers dipped a little bit. But he's exactly where you want him to be at this point in the season, going into uh, going into October. And, and the incredible thing for me, Bill, over the last you know, week or two is, and, and I have to give credit to the the Red Sox PR staff who who do a great job researching these numbers and you know just have them on the tips of their tongues and you know really appreciate the work that they do. Um, you're seeing Mookie Betts' name alongside DiMaggio and Jimmy Fox and Mel Ott and Barry Bonds mm-hmm. and, you know, just the great Lou Gehrig. I mean, just all-time greats of the game in terms of things he's doing in a single season, things he's doing by the age of 25 or 26. Um, it, it's just when you take a step back and, and you look at the company he's keeping right now, you realize that this season and his career to this point, he has a chance if he sustains this over the next seven, eight, nine years to be all time great. Yeah, he, he really does. I mean, and that's that's the uh, that's the secret. What you just mentioned, can you sustain it for for several years? Of course, but certainly this year. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's just been it's been remarkable to watch. 
so um, the other thing the Red Sox did since our last uh, Twin Bills podcast is that they broke the record for wins in a season. Uh, and um, that says something, uh, Bill. I mean, obviously, as Kevin McNamara wrote, you know, the wins that really count and the wins that people care about the most are going to be coming in October. But, you know, having a having a set a franchise record for a franchise that's been playing baseball for more than 100 years is uh, not something to take lightly. No, on the record, it stood for 106 years, going back to 1912, uh, the year that Fenway Park opened. Uh, it was a World Series winning year. Yep. Um, you know, so it's, it's important to note that, you know, the 1912 team, Automatically gets a spot on the list of one of the greatest teams in franchise Absolutely. history. Yeah, they finished. They they sealed the deal, so to speak. Correct, because they finished it off. Now yep. uh, I wrote for, geez, which day in the journal was it? <laughs> they all <laughs> blend into one. Uh, I think it was the uh, the rainout day, um, Tuesday into Wednesday. Uh, wrote a little bit of a comparison between right. the 1912 team and, and the 2018 team. Um, the one thing that I really wanted to make clear before I get into any numbers or anything like that is how different the game is in 2018 than it was in 1912. How different the, the country and the world are, too. Yes. Right. Uh, you, you consider in 1912, women didn't even have the right to vote yeah. in the United States. They were eight years away from doing that. Uh, Alex Cora would not have been the manager of the Red Sox. No. Mookie Betts would not have been playing for the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither one of those two would have been welcome right. on the Red Sox. Uh, you know, So obviously, since 1947, since integration you maybe want to sort of draw a line between the achievements before that, the achievements after. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the game has never been more international mm-hmm. than it is now. It's never been more diverse right. than it is now. And athletes have never been bigger, stronger, faster than they are now. It, it is a completely different game from the game that they played 106 years ago. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the only way that you can really compare it is by comparing the players to their peers. Um, and if you look at the Red Sox now, uh, compared to the Red Sox in, in 1918, um, the current Boston group, you go to wins above replacement, that's probably the truest measure mm-hmm. uh, of value uh, at this point. The current Red Sox are number two in war in the major leagues. Houston is number one. Mm-hmm. And you know, as I've said before, I think Houston is the biggest threat yep. to them making the World Series. Uh, they have the top wins above replacement in left field, in right field as a group in the outfield, and it designated hitter. So you're looking at Andrew Benintendi, Jackie Bradley, Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez. Martinez sort of carrying that. Mm. Um, they're number two in total pitching, which might surprise might you a little bit. might surprise people, right, because, um, you know, there's a lot of bitching and moaning about Price and the bullpen and certainly legitimate concerns, but... But when compared to other teams, they're not so bad. No, because you have Chris Sale at the top. Right. Uh, David Price actually has had a very good year when you consider wins above replacement. And mm-hmm. you know, for his struggles in terms of walks and whatever else, Craig Kimball and, Mar- and uh, Matt Barnes actually rate pretty highly in terms of wins above replacement mm-hmm. against other relievers. Um, if you go back to 1912 and you look at their wins above replacement, they were number one overall in war in starting pitching, in total pitching, and in center field. They were pretty much a two-man squad. It was Smokey Joe Wood on the mound and Tris Speaker Speaker, in the outfield. Um, They had a decent supporting cast, but it wasn't anywhere near as deep and as varied as this supporting cast is. Um, And so I I would look at this club right now, just compared to that one, and I would say that this club, if they're able to win the World Series... 
there's only one other team in terms of wins above replacement that, that's close, and that's the 2007 Red Sox. Uh, they were number one in war in the majors. Yep. They've had the highest wins above replacement in franchise history. They were 22.3. 1917 was 20.7. The current group is 19.9. Um, you look at the 2007 team, and it's loaded Right in, in retrospect. Absolutely. You're looking at... Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz in his absolute prime. Josh Beckett. Uh, Josh Beckett, yeah. who was just nails in that postseason. Yeah, yeah. uh, Jonathan Papelbon, mm-hmm. who had emerged as as a legit money closer at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had deciding players, winners up and down the lineup. Great character up and down that lineup. Um, but this group, if if they're able to finish this off, and I think especially if they're able to go through Houston, who are the defending champions. Uh, they could certainly take a seat at the table with any of the great teams in Red Sox history. You know, um, some friends of mine and I were talking about, you know, how do, how does this team rate when, when you look back at the great Red Sox teams, at least the Red Sox teams that, that we can relate to and sure, remember. Sure. Uh, and obviously the story isn't written yet because they still have this postseason to play. But to me, 2007 was the closest comparison because – it was such that year was they were so dominant. It, I don't know if they were in first place, you know, essentially wire to wire, but it felt that way. And this team essentially was too. Once they got first place in early July, they never they never relinquished it. And you know, by late August, it was it was over. I mean, they had they had opened up the lead to close to nine or ten, and really I think it dipped down to maybe six, the closest they ever got. And but you know, it never really was was threatened. Uh, but uh, you know, again. They have to. They have to seal the deal and and win the World Series if you want to be talked about among the great Red Sox teams. Statistically, we can sit here and look at the WAR, and, and there may be other teams that had great WAR too, but they didn't win the World Series, so they don't come to the fore, you know, in in our memories. You know, it's they don't come to the to the uh, to the forefront like uh, like uh, 2004 and 2007 and even 2013 and and even 1912 and 1918. No, that that's absolutely right. And you know, it's it's funny that you say that because uh, you know last night, which was uh, Thursday, Jerry Remy was at the ballpark. Uh, right, actually came to to pay a visit. Uh, you know, I think he did an inning or two on TV. Uh, I obviously wasn't watching the broadcast. Yeah, he also did a little bit on the radio as well. Um, you know, and, and like he mentioned, somebody asked him about this current club and how good they've been, and um, you know, Jerry, Jerry very much, uh, you know, still sort of gallows humor here. He said, "Guys, I was on the 1978 team. We won 99 games and we're a bunch of bums, <laughs> you know, because we didn't make the playoffs." Right. You know, That's everyone right. looks and says, that "Well, was you're the big collapse to the Yankees uh, and the Bucky Dent game, right?" Right. You know, you're a bunch of chokers and losers and right. whatever else. Well, right. we won 99 games. That's right. I think Eckersley might have won 20 games that year for the Red Sox. Yeah. You know, I mean, and there yeah. were, you know, and and Jerry makes the point quite rightly that. There have been Red Sox teams, several of them, who've won the World Series and not won 99 right, games right. in a regular season. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's why when folks look at the, the current group and they say, well, you know, sure, you can win 110 games, that's fine, but if you don't finish, then who really cares? Right, right. Um, Jerry has lived that. So, <laughs> right. I, so I think that he can, you know, appropriately testify to that fact. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's why, but I do think that there is a, a line that we need to draw here in terms of you should be able to celebrate this team's accomplishments to this point. Sure. You can't say what they're going to do in October right. yet because it hasn't happened yet. If mm-hmm. you'd like to forecast doom on them, that's fine. Yeah, that's your prerogative, but it doesn't take away what happened, what's happened up to this point. That's right. right. You you can sit here right now and you can say, oh, man, you know, game seven of the ALCS, I don't want Matt Barnes out there in a right. four-to-three game against Houston. 
that's fine, but yeah. that hasn't happened yet. Right. <laughs> um, you know, you can't well. you can't go back and look at postseason numbers and say, oh my god, you know, uh, Mookie Betts is a choking dog. He's going to be terrible in it. Right. You don't know that yeah. yet. Right. You don't right. know that. It's different year, different series. Sure. More importantly, different manager. And I, and I think, you know, just being around this team all year, they have sort of a lightness, uh, a sort of relaxed calm yep. and. and Ideally, that comes out in the highest pressure situation. Sure, sure. Uh, but you know, from the fan standpoint, and, and it's and it's a not it's not wrong. Um, you know, uh, things that happen in the postseason take on great significance. No For question. example, if I were to ask you, what's the greatest hit that JD Drew ever had with the Red Sox? Oh, the seventy million dollar grand slam. What, right. I mean, and people love to you know crap all over JD Drew, and you know maybe he wasn't really plugged in or. But uh, and I remember watching that. It you know didn't matter what they paid him; it was worth it because he hit that grand slam to beat to beat Cleveland and launch them into the World Series. No, right? he validated the entire contract with one swing. That's it. There's no question in <laughs> right. it. It's also right. you know you could also look at. I remember people at the time when they made the trade for Josh Beckett. Yeah, they traded away Hanley Ramirez, and and there was great criticism. Why are you trading Hanley Ramirez? You shouldn't do that. Right. Um, because in Boston you play to win championships. Yeah. You don't necessarily play to develop guys for the future. You play to win now. You would like to develop guys while you're winning now. But making that trade, Hanley Ramirez for Josh Beckett and the greatest throw-in in in a trade of all time, Mike Lowell. That's right. Who was a salary dump by the Marlins, who ended up being awesome for you that year in the postseason. Right, right. Um, You know, that's that's what you do. Uh, You know, if you're Boston and you're in a spot where you can win a championship, you trade the prospect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Josh Beckett, what he did in 2007, starting in Game 5 in Cleveland uh, and then going forward, was phenomenal. Right. Uh, he was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, you know, I like to think that the uh, the, the dealing away of Hanley Ramirez for uh, Josh Beckett is is um, like the uh, dealing away of Jeff Bagwell back in the late 80s, except oh, the Bagwell boy. trade didn't work out, no. and the uh, the Beckett trade did. Well, it's it's not a great comparison, because the, the guy that you got back for Bagwell didn't go on to, to have the kind of success and impact that that, uh, that Josh Beckett did. But, but, you know, Hanley Ramirez went on to have this great career. Obviously, we, they came, he came back here toward the end of his career, but, you know, you had all those years uh, without Hanley Ramirez, but you had another World Series championship. Yeah, I think the difference being uh, in the two trades, you traded a young prospect, Jeff Bagwell, for a rental, a setup guy, right. Larry Anderson. Um, when you traded Hanley Ramirez, you got back a starting pitcher with a certain amount of pedigree in Josh Beckett. Yeah, and you already, had him for a while. Yes, too. he was yeah. under team control. He'd already won a World Series. Uh, had already shown that he could be the best pitcher on a World Series winning staff. Right. Um, and you felt like there was more there because he was in his late 20s. Uh, Mike Lowell was a total dump in that trade. Mm-hmm. Someone whose money the Marlins wanted to get off the books. Uh, and the Red Sox, for whatever reason, agreed to take him. Now, how that ended up working out was Mike Lowell's one of the best character guys they've ever had mm-hmm. uh, in that clubhouse, um, was one of the glue guys on that team. And he got a few clutch hits at the time, yeah, which yeah. was a bonus. <laughs> More um, than a few, yeah. You know, and, and pretty much donated his body to the 2007 team yeah, because yeah. He, he didn't do much after that. No, no he, he gave it all uh, that year for sure. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> as we head into the, uh, into the um, end of the year and into the postseason here, let's, let's talk about a couple of things as the Red Sox get ready for October play. Uh, first off is um, 
uh, Raphael Devers, who is making a strong bid to reclaim his rightful spot at third base, I guess some people would say. Mm. But boy, his bat has come back, hasn't it? Yeah, no question. Uh, you know, Eduardo Nunez getting hurt when he did, uh, and that was in New York um, on Wednesday. Mm. Pulled up in the ninth inning after an infield single, uh, said he had some left hamstring soreness. Uh, he'd already been battling some right knee soreness. Um, you know, so they sat him down. It was prudent. They thought, you know, we'll take the last nine or ten games. We'll play him sparingly. He's expected to come back this weekend uh, at Fenway Park. But what's happened in the interim uh, is Raphael Devers has turned back into the guy they always thought he was yeah. and, and could be. Um, you look at his last. 11 games he's hit five home runs in 11 games yeah uh you know has an ops at 1059 um you know and yesterday wednesday the the first game of the doubleheader the two home runs he hit the first one's a line drive to the tip of the triangle that goes 432 feet yeah on a line yeah it really was seed yeah um I don't know, aside from J.D. Martinez, I don't know if they have another guy in their lineup, and I don't know if they've had another guy since Manny Ramirez who's capable of hitting a ball that far on that trajectory. That's special. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only is it special, it's, it's something that you need in the, in, the, in the postseason because, as you know, you're going to be facing some very good pitching, and uh, if, if somebody makes a mistake... You have the caliber hitter of Devers up there. They can really make them pay. Whereas, you know, maybe Nunez, who certainly has, has done okay for himself, but doesn't have the power that, that Devers does, uh, you know, it could really change the tenor of a game and, and a series. So I, I would be surprised if we don't see Devers out there. And then, you know, obviously Nunez would be on the roster and probably come in for uh, defense in, in the late innings if, if, you're, uh, if you're leading. The shame of it is that Nunez was probably the healthiest he's been in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, had hit in 16 of his last 20. Um, the right knee that caused him to break down last year in the postseason, he said it, it was right about back to 100%. Uh, was feeling really good. And then there's a, a strange play where he hits a ground ball up the middle, and there's supposed to be a double play, and there's not. And he sort of pulls up going into the first base bag and feels something in the knee and is a little sore the next day. And you know then it's probably compensating for that. I don't think it's a coincidence that it's the left hamstring yeah. that, that he sort of strains, right. probably compensating for the right knee. Yeah. Um, so it's just bad timing for him. I certainly think he's going to be on the roster. I think that in terms of comparing the two players the power separates Devers the defense if you look at the metrics is a wash Devers has better range but Nunez won ground ball in the Bronx side Mm. uh, on (laughs) Wednesday night right remember that um is probably more sure-handed when the ball's hit right at him Mm -hmm. um I I sort of explored the notion of maybe platooning them you play Devers against right-handed pitching and Nunez against left they actually have reverse splits Nunez hits right-handed pitching in his career better than he hits left-handed pitching um and Devers had at the time this was a week ago had the same OPS against righties and lefties. Right, he was right. 755 each. Right. So it really doesn't make a difference. You you can't just say, well, we'll play this guy against this pitcher and that guy against that pitcher. I would be surprised if you saw Devers against, say, Jay Happ, mm. if they play the Yankees in yeah. a division series. Yeah. He's very tough on lefties. Right. Um, you know, But I would not be surprised if you saw him against the righties in that series. And I also might not be surprised if you saw him against CeCe Sabathia, who's not necessarily as tough. Right, right. Uh, on on lefties or Chapman in late innings. 
Or Chapman in the late innings. Remember last year. Right? That's right. Uh, That's right. So uh, <clears throat> let's uh, let's go to the uh, the pitching staff here for a minute. So um, Chris Sale and Dave David Price uh, through recently. Uh, I don't think either one was a fantastic outing. I don't think either one was a horrible outing. Um, what do you think of of these these last two outings by by our number one and two? Uh, uh, rotation guys on, on the Red Sox. Um, is it you know part of it? You know, well they're not they don't have a whole lot to play for right now, or um, you know is is Sale maybe not as fully healed as as people think he is? Well, this is all a matter of perception, isn't it? If, right, but you know these guys have set the standard. Certainly, Sale has set a standard that's very high. So when you don't hit that standard, people start questioning. Well, what I mean by that is you know if you'd like to be positive, you could look at it and say. These games sort of have a spring training feel. These guys are yeah. just getting their work in, right. and that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. Sail through 92 pitches, which is the most he's thrown uh, in a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Came out of it, said he was healthy, um, said he'll be ready to go for game one of the division series. If you take him at his word, then you'd be a little bit encouraged. Mm. Uh, if you look at his velocity and the fact that he struggled to put hitters away, even though he had eight strikeouts, yep. which seems odd. But it's the, it's I think true. it's the velocity, really. I think people, you know, said, "Hey, he's only he's only throwing like ninety two or whatever it was." Right. And, you know, we we we're used to seeing him up uh, up in the uh, the high nineties. Then you would say that the sky is falling and that they're doomed. <laughs> right. Well, um, maybe not quite. But. <laughs> you know, but I mean, there there, there really is no in between anymore, yeah, as right. you know. Uh, you know, I I just think that you know, these games don't really mean a lot for those two guys yeah. because they already know where they're going to be yeah. and you know they're veterans they know what they need to do to be ready um, in sales case yes I would have liked to have seen him pitch better uh, on Wednesday night there's mm-hmm. no question mm-hmm. uh, I would have liked to have seen him you know get out of the fifth inning maybe get out of the sixth inning uh, you know and, and I also you know I don't really feel great about the fact that he said afterwards he feels like there's a mechanical flaw there with his lower half yeah um, he doesn't really have a ton of time to, to address that. He can probably throw at least two side sessions in between now and, and next Friday, which you know is will be good work for him. What these guys can do with video now as well, um, they'll probably just go back and analyze his best starts in June and July, put last night's start right next to it, and say, okay, this is what we see as, as a difference. Right. Um, and, and should be able to correct something like that. I also think, and I asked him this after the game last night, the postseason for these guys, they've been grinding so long, um, they'd already clinched the division. The postseason gives you that sort of shot of adrenaline mm. that, that you need after six months and you know playing just about every night and you know going through your starts. Chris Sale last night, I, I know he wanted to go out there and get his work in and feel good. He's pitching against the Orioles. In right. the second game of a doubleheader at Fenway Park, where you know the ballpark's probably three quarters full. There's no atmosphere. Right. Uh, it's it's drudgery by that point. You've been there for ten hours. Um, you can't possibly think that he's going to be as motivated mentally, physically, to go out there and dominate the Orioles like he would be if you stand him out there in a game one against the Yankees or the A's right. and say, "All right, Chris, these are the playoffs. Yeah. This is where your legacy is going to be defined. Are you going to go out there and pitch?" Are you going to go out there and struggle? Um, because if you struggle, we saw what happened last year. Right. The season that he had, the 300 strikeouts, the Cy Young candidacy, 
None of that mattered. Nope. Everyone looked and said, well, he broke down at the end of the year like right. he always does. Right. He heard that all off season. Yeah. He could tell you that he didn't, but of course he did. Um, so he knows that, that his next start will be the most important start he makes all season sure. until he makes another one and then another one. Sure. Uh, and, and I really think that you know this group, as talented as they are, as good as they have been, I think they're going to welcome that. I think they're going to embrace that. And, and you could see a very different look uh, come next Friday for game one of the division series. Uh, and what about Dave, David Price? You feel sort of same thing, you know, uh, these games don't mean a whole lot. And, and he wasn't horrible. He had, you know, he had a rough third inning uh, yesterday, uh, ended up, you know, obviously winning the game pretty easily. Uh, that was the first game of the doubleheader. Yes, it's nice when you get 19 runs. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. definitely a good thing as a pitcher. I, I actually thought that, you know, Price's outing, uh, he showed his experience there. Um, that's an outing that might get away from a younger pitcher, a less experienced pitcher, a pitcher who isn't as good, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Um, second inning gives up a leadoff home run, a walk, another home run. It goes from 5 nothing to 5-3. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes 39 pitches to get out of the inning. He said afterwards, he acknowledged that he was probably one or two pitches away from being taken out of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, they send him back out for the third Baltimore puts a runner on. There's a relay throw to the plate. Tim Beckham is out to end the inning. And then he breezes through the fourth and the fifth and gets to 88 pitches, which is right about where they wanted him to. Um, and I just think that, you know, Price in the second half here has shown some resourcefulness. Uh, he's reinvented himself uh, to an extent in terms of moving over on the rubber and you know, sort of making some adjustments in terms of his pitch mix, whether it be using the changeup more. Um, using the fastball to both sides of the plate, reintroducing the cut fastball to the yeah. back door. Uh, and you see the results. He's been very good. I, I also think that he starts at game two uh, in the division series, whether it's at Fenway Park, uh, it's, it's going to be at Fenway Park. Well, it'll Park. be at Fenway, yeah. Um, it will not be at Yankee Stadium right. where the opposing team can hit three home runs that barely total a thousand feet, <laughs> right? With a short porch in Yankee um, Stadium, yeah. you know that's going to open up that side of the plate yeah. to those right-handed hitters. He can pitch to them. He's right. going to be confident. He can pitch to them. Uh, if it's in Oakland, right, you probably get a night game in Oakland where the ball doesn't carry very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of an all-or-nothing lineup. They're free swingers, and and Price is a bit of a craftsman. Mm. Uh, I think he would be content with allowing the A's to get themselves out right. Uh, right. in a game like that. You know, if if for whatever reason he had to start a game later in a series, or or they decide they want him to start Game Three uh, on the road, you know, whatever they decide to do, yeah. um, you know. So I think he he'd match up reasonably well with them, mm-hmm. um, and and I think. You know, just most importantly, I I think Price is in a good place mentally, and and you know he's probably the most dissected player on the Red Sox in that way. You know, is David Price happy? Is he sad? Is he angry? Um, what does he really mean when he says this or when he right. says that? He had a very nice moment uh, on Wednesday with uh, Johnny Miller, the longtime WBZ reporter. Johnny asked him, um, you know, David, how are you going to feel going into your next start? against the Yankees. And Price, being a, a baseball fan and, yeah. and someone who's constantly watching games from other markets in the clubhouse, gets this little smile on his face like a six-year-old would, and he said, Johnny, the Yankees beat the A's already? <laughs> that Did that happen? Did yeah. I miss that? Right. Uh, you know, the assorted media laughed, and it was a, it was a legitimately light 
nice moment. Um, but I think it, it, to me anyway, it suggested that he's comfortable at mm-hmm. this point. He feels good about where he's at and, and about the type of performance that he thinks he can put out there in a postseason start. And I, I think that's probably the most important thing for, for somebody like that. Right. Right, and if you're a Red Sox fan, I think you take uh, take some solace in knowing that, that there really isn't a a scenario in which he would have to pitch in Yankee Stadium no. here. Because if you face the Yankees, it's going to be in this first series. Right, you're not going to face them later on. And uh, the Red Sox have home field, so you know that means two games here, two games at the opponent, one game back here. It's a five game series. Price is your number two guy. He's going to pitch at Fenway. That's and right. if he pitches a second time, it'll be at Fenway. That's right. So that's right. Uh, so before we wrap this up on uh, on this last uh, regular season edition of the Twin Bills, wow, that's right, <laughs> right. Uh, we should just uh, chat quickly about this final series against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start um, tomorrow. Yep, Friday tomorrow night, night. Uh, three game series, and as we mentioned at the top of the. Uh, of the podcast here, it, it means nothing for the Red Sox wins or losses. But the Yankees have a, uh, I believe it's a one and a half game lead over Oakland right now for that for the wild card. And you know, it's just a matter of who gets home field. Those are the two teams that are going to play in the wild card. It's just a matter of where. So um, you know, for the Red Sox, you know, you want to do do the best you can to make life miserable and difficult for the Yankees, and that means sending them to uh, to Oakland, I guess. Uh, so what do you think the Red Sox are going to do with these final three games in terms of uh, their roster, their lineup? Well, they've announced their three starters. They're going to have Brian Johnson on Friday, uh, Nathan Evaldi on Saturday, and Rick Porcello on Sunday. Hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, in terms of their regulars, they'll probably play two out of three games. Um, yeah, I would expect most of those guys, if they play Friday night, they'll get the Saturday off yeah, and, come and back play on Sunday. Sunday. Sure. Yep. Um, either that or you'll get Friday night off and you'll play Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Saturday being the day game and Sunday being a little later day game at, at 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't see any reason why Alex Cora is going to play any you know anyone like Mookie Betts or J.D. Martinez all three games. I, I'd be very surprised by right. that. I'd be surprised if Xander Bogart's played all three games. Um, you know He's made the point all the way along that he's going to do what's best for his team. Yeah. Um, but within reason... He would like to make it difficult for sure. the Yankees. Yeah, they're the opponent. And you don't want to make things easier, and 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 it's a very real human cost here. <laughs> if Oakland hosts that game, someone has to fly three thousand miles right. to play the Red Sox. Right. Um, the winner, whether it's Oakland or the Yankees, if New York has to go the way all, all the way out there and they win the game, they've got to fly three thousand miles twice. Yeah. You know, so if you're Boston. Of course you'd like to push them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, of course you'd like to make them use a starting pitcher in that game. Right. Whether it's Luis Severino or Masahiro Tanaka or J.A. Happ. Right. Uh, you, you definitely want them to use one of those guys. Because that means he can't pitch against you. Sure. Um, you're going to get to the, the sort of bottom of uh, their rotation. You're going to have a chance against C.C. Sabathia. I know he's been tough against Boston, but I'd much rather have him in a game two or game three than a game four. Yeah. Because that means that they've thrown those other guys already. Uh, you know, maybe they've chewed through their bullpen a little bit against Oakland. Maybe you forced them to chew through their bullpen a little bit in the first two games. Right, right. Um, you know, for for all the talk about how the Yankee relievers are, are infallible and whatever else, the clinching game in the AL East 
the Sox put a hurting on their yeah, bullpen, they and did. and they they, they have a top three OPS against opposing bullpens in baseball this year. This is a very good offense, um, who grinds out at bats and, and makes things very difficult for the opponent. Um, so I think, sure, within reason, they're going to push the Yankees this weekend. They're going to make it as hard as they can for them, uh, but they're also going to take care of themselves, and I think that's what they've done all season. And I think it makes sense that they're going to play, uh, as you said, you, th- you think they're going to play two out of three games or so, the starters. Uh, you know, because they don't play again for a week. You know, they don't play again until right. till Friday. It's kind of a long uh, period just to uh, not play any competitive games. Uh, and so you don't want these guys to get rusty, and you try to keep them as fresh as you can. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens here with, with the Yankees uh, in town because there is something certainly to play for, for uh, on that end. And as you said, the Red Sox are not looking to make life easy uh, for, the, for the New York Yankees. So. Uh, so, Bill, that will wrap up our final regular season Twin Bills. It's been a lot of fun, I think, hasn't it? No, I agree. It, yeah. It's been a great time, and uh, the best part of the season is yet to come. Absolutely. And so we will be back doing this again uh, before the uh, ALDS kicks off uh, a week from Friday. Bill, talk to you then. All right, Bill. Thanks.